1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 77 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Anthony Casablanca. Anthony and his brother Guy are co-founders of Grief Leaders, a training and consulting organization devoted to educating leaders on how to help grieving employees excel at work. Guy is a duly licensed funeral director and mortician highly experienced at facilitating healthy grieving processes. He has owned two businesses, consulted for corporations, and led teams of managers. He currently manages a funeral home in Loveland, Colorado. My guest, Anthony, his brother, is a senior executive with 30-plus years of experience and a proven track record of purpose-driven leadership. He has held several leadership roles with Batesville Casket Company, the world's largest funeral service products provider, and he was named the 2009 Human Resources Executive of the Year for the state of Indiana. They have also written as co-authors the book The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work. And he is another a great guest for my friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicists and Company. And I think you're going to really enjoy what Anthony has to share. And I say enjoy kind of with quotation marks, because the topic we're going to be talking about, uh, helping our teammates through grief, um, it's a very important topic. And it's one I know uh, that not a lot of leadership material really covers. And Anthony and Guy have done a really good job of kind of helping us as leaders be a little bit more empathetic, be a little bit more understanding, and help our teammates get through uh, these, these grieving moments. And he makes it very clear, even though they have a background in, in the funeral business, this isn't always about loss of life. Grief can come in many shapes and forms. And many of us leaders are woefully ill-prepared to, uh, to handle that. So, without further ado, I'm going to get out of your way and let you listen to this great interview with Mr. Anthony Casablanca. All right, well, welcome guests, and welcome Anthony Casablanca to the show. How are you doing today, sir?
0: I am doing fantastic, Earl. Thanks so much. How about yourself?
1: I couldn't be better. You know, it's another beautiful, officially winter day here in Indiana, right? That's correct. It's even, there's even a little sunshine out, which is unusual. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I haven't seen what the temperature was today, but yesterday it got almost to 50, which, uh, people who aren't necessarily familiar with Indiana winters, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome for winter up here. Yes, it was. Um. (laughs) So, Anthony, let me go ahead and uh, get you started where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the term burden of command, what does that mean to you?
0: Um, so, well, it's a very interesting term actually, because I I view command or leadership as a as a privilege. But if I if I had to say, you know, the burden of command, and I will explain this a little bit, but I would say the burden of command is people. Um, you know, I think a lot of times leaders managers think that their responsibility is to generate results and to hit their metrics and you know, to manage performance and do all of those things. uh, And that people are just, you know, a way to get that sort of a, that they're replaceable cogs in the big machine. Um, But the true, you know, true leaders, the great leaders realize that leadership is really all about the people. And it's a privilege to whether you're in the military or you're in corporate America, or you have your own business, you know, it's a privilege to to have people that you're responsible for um and care for and i think that's the real burden of command is is when a leader is able to recognize that and balance caring for his people with the need to get results um, i have a personal mantra that's been a leadership platform of mine for a while uh which is people first mission always Mm-hmm. And I think striking that balance of of hitting your hitting your objectives and meeting your commitments uh, but never doing it on the you know on the backs of your people, um that's that is I think, the burden of command
1: no i I, I love that definition, and it's uh, you know you're right. I mean, a, a lot of the the quote burden of command is people centric. And, um, you know, and I agree with you, uh, about leadership being a privilege. It's, you know, one of the things I always like to stress to to folks when I'm working with them is, you know, nobody can make you a leader. Uh, it doesn't matter who gives you what title. It doesn't matter who tells other people that they should follow you. It's up to the people who follow you, whether or not you are a leader. And, right. and so I love your people focus on that answer. Now, As I mentioned uh, in in the bio, uh, you are the author with uh, your brother, right?
0: Correct. Yes, my brother Guy.
1: Yeah. And and the book is uh, The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work. Now, you know, that's probably not a topic that a lot of leaders really consider, or even at this day and age are comfortable with approaching with most of their teammates. Is this, this idea of grieving, right? Uh,
0: That is, you are exactly right. Um, In fact, when we were researching the book, there were a couple of, uh, there were a couple of things that, that were real sort of aha moments for Guy and I, one was, Uh, And this study is a bit dated on these numbers uh, now would be even higher. But one was that grief in the workplace costs companies just in the U.S. $75 billion a year Mm. in lost productivity. Um, And that number is, is really dated. That was like done in 2003. The organization that did that has said that they're redoing that study and they would expect it to exceed $100 billion now. And that would certainly be true with all that's going on with COVID and you know, all of the things there that I'm sure we may touch on later. The other thing that, that, um, jumped out at us was there is, there is no other leadership resource out there really that deals with this topic. Um, and for something to be so costly, uh, estimates would say potentially one in four people show up to to work in some, some stage of grief. Uh, it is one of the most awkward, uh, most emotional, most uncomfortable leadership challenges that leaders are the least prepared for because it's not taught anywhere. Right, right. There, there, there are no leadership companies except for the one my brother and I started. Uh, there are It's not taught in any college programs. It's not taught in any leadership seminars. Uh, it's really just sort of left up to the leader's own devices on how they will handle each individual situation.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely, you are 100% accurate. I mean, I, uh, you know, being in the leadership development space myself, uh, reading a ton of books uh, just for personal development and, and uh, through the course of this podcast, um, you know, I've had, I've had and read grief, uh, touched upon, uh, you know, through personal struggle, maybe addiction, things like that, mm-hmm. but never from this kind of, uh, and, and this isn't your entire focus, but uh, you'll have a, a a great focus on around loss of life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, I mean, it, it, it's very much something that, that a lot of leaders need to get comfortable with because, you know, one of the things that, that I try to stress, and I'm sure you all do as well, is leadership isn't just about what happens inside the four walls of your organization. You have to be able to take care of your people uh, and help them have uh, happy, healthy, productive home lives as well. And this is a big part of it, right?
0: Uh, so, yeah, it is. It is, and um, you know, while we have while we have the term "dying" in the in the title of the book. One of the points that we try to raise, and the reason that this is such a, um, a such a, a broader topic um, and such an impactful topic, is you know grief doesn't just happen because of the loss of a loved one. It any emotionally traumatic event that alters a person's sense of reality is an, is significant enough to to cause them to enter the stages of grief. So when you look at it from that perspective, you know divorce. Um, a significant illness diagnosis of either yourself or a close relative or family member, um, opioid addiction, spousal abuse, the the list, run, it runs the gamut. And um, And so, you know, when I think a lot of times we think of it just as, well, you know, nobody in my organization has lost anyone today or this week or this year or this month but they have a lot of other things going on in their lives that could cause them to enter the stages of grief, including a company's own initiatives, which I think oftentimes gets overlooked um, and is is not even considered, especially now today where organizations are trying to get back to pre-COVID profitability levels. And so they're eliminating jobs and they're they're cutting benefits and, you know, they're doing all kinds of initiatives to try to re- re- restructure and regain their profitability. Uh, and folks are grieving. Now that grief may feel like a resistance to change to employ to, a, to a leader, but the reality is they're likely, you know, the, it really isn't a resistance to change. It's that people are grieving. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at it from that context, there is, this is, this is a, this is a real leadership challenge that that leaders are not prepared to handle.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and very well said. Because you know, especially the the piece about when organizations, you know, are making decisions uh, that impact their workforce. You know, if you're if you're moving operations from one state to another, or if you're uh, cutting hours, or if you're increasing hours, you know, those all have real. Uh, real tangible impacts on your employees. And not everybody is going to be willing to move from Indiana to Texas and not everybody can because of those extended family connections in in their communities. And, And that does create a lot of grief when you have to make a decision. Do I leave my family or do I keep my job? Right?
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, I'm always amazed when I watch episodes of uh, Undercover Boss or The Voice, right? right? So, I mean, what we're talking about here is is um, when performance begins to slip, try to understand the person's story before just reacting to the performance issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, you know, and I love it because one of the things that, that we t- uh, talk about – Uh, here at the Leadership Phalanx. And I love the fact that you touch on this a little bit in this book as well. Um, In chapter four, you have uh, an entire chapter dedicated to, uh, again, we're not just talking about death here, folks, but this is the title of the chapter, Understanding the Funeral Process, Mm -hmm. Helping Leaders Understand How the Funeral Process and Different Cultures' Mourning Practices Impact Their People. You know, and, and one of the things we talk about, and this is kind of what you brushed up on, I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, have you heard the term moral injuries? No. So it's a lot of what you, it's very similar to what you were just talking about here. So what what the concept of moral injuries are, uh, it's when we do things that violate uh, like deeply held beliefs, whether they be religious beliefs, whether they just be cultural beliefs, um But when we do something that violates somebody's deeply held belief, uh, we actually create, like if you look at brain scans, the same centers in the brain that that light up if you stump your toe, if you break a leg, depending on the severity of the moral injury, they light up in the same response to the severity of a physical injury, right? And so as our organizations are moving through and we're becoming more diverse and we're bringing more people in and we aren't keeping our uh, organizational policies up to date with these different cultures that are now part of our organization, while we're trying to do the right thing, we can uh, unintentionally create these moral injuries and cause pain to our employees. And just like, let's say, if a runner with shin splints, you know, those themselves aren't necessarily catastrophic, but if you get them bad enough, they can lead to a total breakage of the leg. And it's the same thing here. And like I said, I like the fact that you touch on it during a grieving process. Every culture grieves uh, a little bit different. They have a little different way of viewing their home life. And you need to be aware of that, right? Correct. Correct.
0: Correct. In
1: fact, uh, it's funny
0: that you bring this topic up. Uh, We just released, uh, we just put a video out on YouTube um, and also on our LinkedIn uh, page uh, uh, this morning. Actually, we released it. My brother recorded a video that uh, talks about this very topic um, and links it to cultural diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about cultural diversity, diversity and inclusion. But if you read what people are talking about, they're really talking about um, creating a world where people can be themselves at work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the inclusion part. And that extends to the grief world.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of people missed about the, uh, Uh, you know, the riots over the spring and into the summer, was it wasn't, yes, they were about racial injustice, but it was ultimately, if you were paying attention and listening, it was about grief, right?
0: Right. Right. Very much so. Very much so. Um, And just the, uh, you know, the. the, there were a few posts that caught my interest and I, I noticed that the pattern was, um folks who who whose view of that was, you know, I'm tired of of not being viewed as credible in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And frankly, a couple of the people I actually worked with them uh, and had no idea that they were struggling with that. Um, one of them actually wound up leaving, the workforce ultimately after after she had left the company that, that we worked at together, she went on to another organization and I guess it only got worse, not better. And uh, she just she just said, you know, I was tired of having to to watch my facial expressions and watch my tone and I had to just work so flippin' hard to make sure that that people heard what I said and I just got tired of it. Just got tired of it all. Uh, and you know she was she was an African American female, and that really got my attention. Not that that really has much to do with what we're talking about here, but but you're right. She um she was she was she was in a state of you know depression mm-hmm. basically over the fact that no matter how she had to work so very hard uh, to be recognized and viewed as as her peers were viewed, um, and ultimately, it caused her to leave the workforce.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's tragic. I mean, and, and it is, you know, I think the kind of the, the cross over here is, you know, that that grief piece. Um, you know, as leaders, we have an immense responsibility to be aware of those things. And, and you know, we're all human. I mean, like you said, you didn't really... Uh, know how, uh, how much grief this lady was going through. But a lot of times it, if you're in tune with the process, and this is again, what I love about this book, because uh, you and your brother do a really good job of identifying, uh, you know, I think most of us know the stages of grief, but you all do a really good job of kind of unpacking what those different stages are and some of the things associated with them. So, you know, real quick, can uh, for anybody who may not be up on what the stages of grief are, you know, what are those, and what should people kind of be looking for?
0: Sure. So, so the five stages of grief play out, um, and actually, there's there's we even talk in the book about an added stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the five stages of grief. The first one is typically denial. Um, and that's when the person is sort of in this whole avoidance spectrum. Um, it's associated there's some confusion, there's fear, there's numbness. Uh, they're kind of looking to place blame. Uh, denial doesn't necessarily mean that they can't believe this happened. They just can't believe it's happened to them kind of thing. Um, and then there's, there's anger, uh, which this woman that I was just talking about, uh that we were just that we were just sharing her story Uh, she was angry right she was angry at the way that that she was treated in the corporate environment uh which by the way she's doing very well she started her own hr consulting company she's got her own radio show and her own podcast uh, uh, that she does uh, the the radio show is called the Rutledge Perspective. If anybody wanted to ever tune into that, nice. but there's anger, which is you know the person is frustrated, and there's lots of anxiety and irritation, and and um, and, and sometimes shame because um, you know they're they're wondering why this happened to them, right? Um, bargaining is the next stage, and that's a very interesting stage. That's where people start to think about well, what if I would have done this? And I wonder if I did this, if this would have happened differently kind of thing, right? And a lot of times folks can begin to blame themselves for whatever the event is, the traumatic event is that took place. And then there's depression and finally acceptance. Uh, And then the the, the stage that my brother has added that he talks about in the book is called sharing, which when you get up to the acceptance phase, people oftentimes wanna to begin to share what they've been through in an attempt to help others. And, and that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great space to be in. Um, but the important thing to realize here, uh, there's a couple of things that we, we point out in the book and in our leadership training. Number one, you don't go through these phases of grief in some nice, neat, little you know, linear fashion. It doesn't work that way. Everyone grieves differently um and you can you can experience all of these stages in a matter of moments Mm. um uh and when you think you may be at one stage you may have a trigger that will bring you back to a previous stage so um i don't want folks who are listening and leaders to think oh well you know i'll give them a couple of weeks to get through the denial phase and then a week or two to get through the anger phase and you know Boy, once we're in that depression phase, we're almost to the end. That's, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way.
1: Would be nice if it
0: did, right? It would be nice if it did. It it certainly would. But uh, grief, you know, people are scarred for a long, long time. Um, uh, Just as a quick example, I was involved in shutting a plant down in the Northeast. And this story is in the book, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I was involved in shutting a plant down in the Northeast. And we had people who relived previous plant closures that they had been through when we announced the closing of our plant. Um, And their reactions were just as visceral, um, even though we were handling the closing of the plant totally different than their previous experiences, some of which were they went to lunch and when they came back, the police were there the gates were locked and they said hey your employer is shut down everybody just needs to go home mm. um with no notice no severance no nothing um not even an ability to go in and get your personal effects um we didn't we handled our closing much much different than that gave folks a year's notice and plenty of severance and worked with them all through the processes but when we announced it the people's reaction was just as visceral And when I sat down and met with them, uh, they explained to me that their reaction was because of how they were treated, you know, three years, five years, 10 years ago, and what their family went through. And they had hoped and prayed that they would never have to go through it again. And now here it is again, out of work, got to look for a job, all of the uncertainty that comes with all of that. So, you know, you never... It's important for people to realize you never really get over grief. You just get through it. Yeah. And that is true of whatever the event is that caused the grief. It doesn't have to be just the, just the loss of a loved one. Uh, but you carry that with you forever. And things can easily bring those feelings back to the surface again months, years, decades later
1: yeah a hundred percent you know I mean and that's that's at the root of uh you know the veteran suicide epidemic What you just said right mm-hmm. there um you know people people who haven't been in those theaters and myself thankfully um I served in uh in peacetime and I didn't uh end up going over seas and seeing some of the things that my my uh, colleagues did in the marines. But, you know, talking with them and chatting with them and trying to understand what they went through, you know, even with me being as close to them as I am and having similar training and being prepared to go to those places, if if my nation called, just the simple fact of me not having been there, I'm never going to be able to completely identify with them on that level. And all I can do is try to be as open and understanding as I possibly can. And I think that's very much what you were just describing here. You know, unless you have been through that layoff scenario, unless you have had that scary proposition of trucking along, having a nice, stable, steady job, a paycheck that you can rely on, and then all of a sudden you get the news, that's not going to be the case, even a year in advance. You know, you can't, unless you've been there, you really can't identify with that but a lot of leaders try to right
0: right and and even if you have been there you still can't identify with it um and the reason is um there's there's a component that complicates a person's response to these emotionally traumatic events and that is the factors that are the other factors that are going on in their life um, that you are may or may not be aware of, uh, but are likely not the same factors that you have been going through in your life or that you went through in your life when the event happened to you. And so, you know, that, that makes it, you just can't, you just can't relate. I mean, you really can't, you can kind of understand, but you truly can't relate and you really cannot know what the person's feeling right because when you lost your job you know maybe your wife was working maybe you had money saved up and you could afford to go 90 days or six months without work um and this other person's not in that situation right maybe they're struggling to pay the bills now Mm -hmm. and to be out of work is devastating to them For you to say, well, I know when I lost my job here. I know how you feel. No, you you don't know how this person feels because you don't know the other complicating factors that are going on in their life.
1: Mm. Well said. Well said. Now, this all sounds, you know, like using this scenario here that something that would be something that, uh, you know, a a hands off leader uh, could just. Kind of shrug off, and you know these are just numbers. We're we're just trying to take care of the bottom line, right? Uh, that's kind of lazy. I don't even want to justify it putting the term leadership on there, but it's it's why I think it's one reason why a lot of leaders are scared to kind of go down this path of getting to know uh, their team uh, before the fear that they may have to make some of these life altering decisions. And this is why I love this book uh, of being able to be targeted at helping leaders have those kind of difficult conversations, understand the processes. Um, So you talk about in chapter five, the need for preventative measures. What types of preventative measures can leaders take uh, for their workforce when it comes around uh, dealing with grief? Sure. Sure. Um,
0: so, you know, there's a couple of things
1: that are at play here
0: and and you are correct. one of the things that, that frustrates me with where the world is today is that every organization calls everybody who has people working for them leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's to me, uh, that's akin to everybody getting a participation trophy. Um, you know, leadership is earned. You may, you may be, you may manage people, but you're not a leader until you really care about them and you demonstrate that uh, through your actions. Um, and so, I think leadership should be a title that's earned in organizations, not just handed out to everyone who who uh, who manages people. But so, there's a couple of things, right? Our our culture in general in the united states and in other countries but let's just confine the discussions to the united states our culture in general does not deal well with grief right we we are a sort of a head in the sand let's not talk about it uh culture because it makes us very very uncomfortable um we've probably all i know even i uh, to this day, even having written the book and the training materials and all of those things, you know, I still find myself sometimes in the grocery store and and a friend will catch my eye. And I know that that friend has got something horrible going on in their lives. Um, and I just, my first reaction sometimes is God, I hope they don't see me because I don't want to talk to them because Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say to them. Um, and so our culture is, is partly to blame here right we we just don't deal well with with grief very well in our in our culture second leaders are have never been exposed to this there are no leadership training programs to talk about this or to teach this uh, and then the third one is organizations don't have processes to deal with emotionally traumatized people at work um, and ironically the more high performance culture an organization has, the more likely they are to have created an environment where people believe that it's, it's a sign of weakness if they raise their hand and ask for help. Mm. right? If somebody raises their hand and says, I'm struggling and I need help, in a lot of organizations either intentionally or unintentionally the culture of the organization is such that people are like "Mm, no that's going to be perceived as a sign of weakness that's going to come back and impact me in my review or it's going to cause me to not be considered a high potential i just need to suck it up and get through this Um, and that's that's really that's really unfortunate um so you know leaders um the preventative steps they can take is really to, to care about their people. Right. And to, to look for some of the, some of the telltale signs. Typically what winds up happening is a leader doesn't respond to this until there's a performance issue, Hmm. a significant performance issue. Um, and at that point it's really almost too late. Right. Right. Um, Now, granted, some emotionally traumatic events are much more visible than others. You would likely know if somebody's child, spouse, mother, father died uh, as a leader, but you might not know that someone's father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and the family's struggling with how they're going to take care of him because, you know, he lives alone or that You know, a woman, a spouse has been diagnosed with breast cancer or whatever, you know, whatever the the event might be um, that a child in the family is struggling with opioid addiction and the family's beside themselves and they don't know what to do. And they're feeling all of those things. Right. That we talked about in the five stages of of grief. Right. Right. They're trying to figure out where they went wrong with their parenting. And is this their fault? and the guilt that comes with that and the anger and the fear of finding their son dead in a gutter someplace someday. Um, You might not know all of that, but if you start to see behavior from your people that is different than what you're accustomed to, it might warrant that you have a conversation with them. Um, A very compassionate, empathetic, caring conversation about hey i've noticed some things is there anything going on um that you want to talk about because if there is if there's something we can do to help we want you to know that that i as the leader and the organization want to help you through any situation you might have going on let's talk about this because i've noticed you know this behavior or that or the other thing um and I just want to make sure everything's okay. And I think that is the single biggest thing a leader can can do preventatively about this issue, and in dealing and helping employees who are grieving to excel at work. Um, that's that's where it all starts. And and I know a lot of leaders are like, well, you know, I'm not. I don't want to get close to my people. You had mentioned this earlier, Earl, about. You know they don't want to they don't want to they believe that if they're friends with their people that it just leads to heartache down the road um and i can tell you you can care deeply about the people who work for you and they not be you know you don't have to socialize with them we're not talking about going out to dinner every week uh or any of those kinds of things but it is taking it is being emotionally invested in them um and demonstrating that you care and I think if you do all of those things, um, you will have created an environment where, where regardless of the company's culture, your people will feel comfortable enough raising their hand with you, the individual, to say, "Hey, I need help. I'm struggling. Here's what's going on, and I need help." Um, so that would that would be my answer to that question: is is care and have the conversations. When you start to see some changes in behavior that that maybe don't, that you're not accustomed to seeing in the person that you're leading.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I've said on this show uh, many a times before, and I'll say it many a times in the future, leadership is just another relationship. Mm-hmm. Everything that makes a personal relationship work makes a leadership relationship work. And that, that is what Anthony just said. Letting your people know that you care and it's subtle gestures, you know, swing by their machine and just see how they're doing and actually listen, uh, go by the break room and have lunch with your team instead of being in your office, do subtle things and, or do not so subtle things like on this topic, uh, you know, back in episode 35, I had the pleasure of, uh, interviewing, uh, chief Jason Armstrong of the Ferguson, Missouri police department. And uh, he was actually in a position outside of Atlanta when the the riots broke out in in Ferguson. Uh, he's a chief after the fact, but he had you know was responsible for coming in and helping getting their uh, culture back on track. But we got to talking about an incident that happened in Atlanta, and it was an officer involved shooting. Two of his officers uh, they ended up surviving, but I guess it was a little touch and go there. And uh, the the grief counselor is you know, tends to happen a lot of times in these, they, they send out the thing, Hey, if anybody needs to talk here, I am. And the one thing that I loved about uh, what chief Armstrong said was he goes, you know, I've been in that situation before on the ground side and I knew nobody was going to respond. Exactly. So it was what he did, I think was brilliant. As soon as that email came out, he responded to everybody and set up time to see the grief counselor. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, you know, yeah, it's fairly overt, but it sends the message, look, if the deputy chief, I believe that was his position at the time, if the deputy chief can go do this, I can do this too.
0: Right. Yeah, one of the points we talk about in the book, um, it's actually, we sort of, the, the point is present throughout the book, but we actually have a chapter on it. It's chapter nine called The Person in the Mirror which is what happens when it's the leader who's had the emotionally traumatic event um, and needs to lead others but they're grieving and the point of the chapter is you need to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and actually the point of the book in its entirety is leaders need to be vulnerable Um, and when leaders are vulnerable their people uh, will will also open up and recognize that they're in an emotionally safe environment uh, where it's okay to um, it's okay to do a lot of things, right One one being raise your hand and saying you're needing help. You'll also find that people will find that it's when you create an emotionally safe environment, they'll also raise their hand and say, hey, I don't think this is right mm-hmm. or I don't think I agree with that or hey I I think there's a better way to do this, right People will actually, challenge more and push the organization further than they would have in an environment where they don't feel safe to speak up Um, and so vulnerability is huge and that's what that assistant chief did by doing that in a very public way he demonstrated his vulnerability which sent a message to everybody under him that hey it's okay It's okay if we're struggling because he must be struggling too because he scheduled an appointment.
1: Yep. Yep. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, uh, you know, these are my experiences. Maybe yours are a little bit different. But when a leader takes that time and puts that effort in uh, to caring about their team, especially in in grieving, uh, in, in times of grief, and then it comes their turn to experience it, the team, is very likely to rally around them and help them and support them through it. Whereas if they haven't, you know, that's kind of when the knives come out. If you've treated your people like crap, not cared about them, and when it comes your time to stumble, those people are less likely to be supportive for you. And I don't want to put it as callous as they want to see you gone from the organization, but they're not going to be sad to see you go, right?
0: Right, right right no that's yeah that's that's true that's true and um it's yeah and that plays out that plays out quite a bit um and the reality is you know the team wants to help it's one of the points that we emphasize in our training um is that when there's an emotionally traumatic event in somebody's life the team wants to help that person, right? When someone's grieving, the team wants to help, but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's really the point of the processes that we teach and the leadership model that we teach, the adaptive leadership model that we teach. Um, a big component of that is to to help the team understand how they can support this person and they will be more than happy to do it. And when they do, uh trust morale engagement loyalty productivity retention they all improve um when you have an environment like that um because because folks do want to they don't want to see the other person struggle um but they don't know how to help and and they also are a bit afraid to go ask how they can help um but the leader can play that role very effectively uh if he if he engages in the in the grief process, which is something that we talk about encouraging
1: leaders to do yep a hundred percent no i i i agree with everything you're saying and you know the the other thing is that that safety uh that you create with that environment you know in in modern society where you know, there's this great quote, and, and it's when it's unattributed. I'd love to know who actually said it because it's beautiful. It says, change is changing faster than change has ever changed before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you don't have that type of environment, people are, as you mentioned, it, it, these grieving processes can come across as uh, being resistant to change. Right. But it's not even that. It's It's just that people aren't comfortable with change. They're not... They don't feel safe and secure with change. And so change is just that much scarier to them because they're already dealing with something else in their life, right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely so, true. Um,
1: you know, speaking of change, changing faster than change has ever changed before, uh, you know, over these last uh, nine months, 10 months, uh, a year, however, whatever clock you want to look at, uh the workforce and and how we operate as a workforce has changed dramatically and it's a little more difficult uh to have these kind of uh inflection points where you can go and you know tap somebody on the shoulder and say hey how are you doing uh but it's not impossible and you all dedicate a chapter to leading remotely so how can you lead remotely and especially how can you help people through their grieving processes for whatever the reason is that they're grieving uh, via a video conference?
0: Sure. Great question. Very timely as well. Um, uh, My brother just had an article published in uh, great leadership, uh, which is an online leadership forum about this very topic. Um, So, you know, there's an awful lot of talk about emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. in leadership. Um, And a lot of what we're talking about here is being able to pick up on those subtle verbal and nonverbal cues that people send much easier to do in person, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think where the leaders who do this very effectively sort of innately have the ability to realize the very subtle shifts in people's behaviors and language and tone and expressions and and make note of that and circle back and follow up with that person just to make sure everything's okay um and that everything being okay doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be something as large as, you know, emotional trauma. It could just be, wow, you know, I noticed that you sat quietly when we were talking about this idea and boy, I really valued your opinion. I was surprised you didn't weigh in on that. Is everything okay or do you not agree with what was being proposed? I mean, it doesn't have to be an emotionally traumatic event. Leaders who are really good at that have teams that are very productive and and very open with each other and willing to to interact and and talk so in a virtual world it becomes even harder um but leaders need to frankly it becomes even harder and even more exhausting um leaders need to really really focus on what they are seeing and hearing and reading into the communications that are going on right so if you're on a zoom call you can see the person's face um watch those expressions although it's a lot harder to do on those little flipping you know (laughs) thumbnails that pop up of people's the little brady bunch window right yeah um listen to the tone there are some real telltale signs, though, right? If people are late to the meetings and that's not like them, people are skipping meetings, um, you know, be re- just be really, really in tune to those nonverbal cues. Don't call it out. Um, don't call it out necessarily in public if it's something that you think may be bigger than just a business issue. Mm hmm. Uh, but circle back and I'll I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, here's a great one. Somebody attends the meeting, but the video's off. Yeah. Um, my brother, his nine-year-old son is at home. He lives in Colorado now and they're schooling from home because of the COVID situation and Colorado is shut down and, and, uh. You know, he was on he was on the Zoom call with his teacher in his class and his computer kept freezing up and he kept getting further and further and further behind. And finally it overwhelmed him and he, he got frustrated and he got angry and he began to cry and he turned the video off on the session. And it was because he didn't want his his peers, his classmates, to see him crying. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that could happen in a work environment right if somebody attends a meeting with the video off in fact we just posted an article today uh on LinkedIn about this very issue a leader should take note of that and maybe follow up with that person after the meeting and just be like hey talk to me what's going on and it might have been something as simple as you know whatever we had we had groceries being delivered or, you know, my three-year-old was, I didn't want anybody to see my three-year-old in her crib behind me. But at the end of the day, it's worth following up and your people will care that you did. Yes. Um, I mean, so that's, that's one example. Uh, I can give you another example of, uh, this is another, one of the people who have read our book called me and chatted with me about, uh, they're a, um, uh, they're a medical tech, a medical billing technician who are now working from home. And it never dawned on me, but these people develop relationships with the patients whose records they are billing. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, they're seeing a lot of people die from COVID and and it's 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 becoming overwhelming to them. Yeah. And uh, this woman was talking to me after having read the book and she said, you know, my boss asks us all the time if we're doing all right, but it doesn't seem like she really wants to know the answer because of the timing of when she does it, right? Either she starts the meeting with how's everybody doing, but then doesn't give people time to answer, or she asks it at the end after we've been on the phone with her for two hours going through a spreadsheet and nobody wants to say anything. It just doesn't seem like it's ever the right time to ever say anything and so after one session they called each other and the team got on the phone and this girl said you know hey are you i find myself sitting in my home office just like crying several times a day because of what i'm reading on the screen from these patients and to a person they all said oh my god i thought it was just me But at the end of the day, the leader is thinking that her people are just fine and they're dealing with it and they're getting through it uh, because, hey, I'm asking, <laughs> how you doing? And nobody's saying anything. Well, yeah, but you're asking it in a public forum and not in a way that people recognize that you really want to know. Right. Um, and so, you know, you got to take those opportunities and the best way to do it i will go back to your example of the the assistant chief of police the best way to do it would have been for that leader to say how's everybody doing because man i am really struggling yeah. i am struggling seeing all of these patients and all of these people who have died from covid and actually the straw that broke the camel's back was this woman had a patient who um had various medical issues and committed suicide, mm. and it was apparent that it was related. And um, you know, be vulnerable. Be yeah. vulnerable. There's a there's a great video. We mention it in our book, which is the only reason why I'll mention it here that that you and and maybe your audience might want to go see. But if you get an opportunity, uh, do a search of Colonel Arthur Athens. Okay. Um, He's a retired U.S. Marine colonel and teaches uh, leadership training at the military academy. Uh, I think he teaches it at um, Annapolis at the Naval Academy. There's a video. He did a video called What's Love Got to Do With It? Mm. And I've had the privilege of hearing him speak twice, um, and it was truly a privilege. He's the most humble genuine person I mean he's very captivating even though he's not very flamboyant but the it's an hour-long video but you can watch 12-minute clips of it and it's all about this topic in fact it's he even has a 12-minute clip on when he was vulnerable and how his team responded to his need uh when his newborn son uh required open heart surgery and ultimately passed away Mm. Um, he talks about about how he dealt with that and how it forced him to lean on his team. And it was one of the greatest lessons that he ever learned was that through his own vulnerability, how much stronger his team got. Um, so, yeah, What's Love Got to Do With It by Colonel Arthur Athens is uh, very much worth the time watching.
1: Well, you had me at Marine, so I'll definitely give that Yeah, a I watch. figured as much. I figured <laughs> as much.
0: He's a great man. He's He's a great man. Yeah.
1: No, it's, but you know, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, I think I love the way Dr. Brené Brown put it, uh, in one of her talks, she says, you know, people give a damn whether or not you give a damn. Right. And and that's, you know, and, and that's the thing that I try to bust this myth every opportunity I get. So thank you for bringing that up about how military leadership operates. It's not this, command and control, scream and yell and spit and slobber all over everything until you get people hopping to and, and doing everything just because they're afraid of you. There's a lot of love and camaraderie and uh, what we call a de corps right. that goes behind it. And, and, you know, Marine Corps leadership is one of the lovingest leadership uh, experiences I've ever been in. And I've mentioned it on this show before, you know, one of the best pieces of leadership advice I had uh, from a senior NCO during my time in the fleet, he said, the secret to to, to military leadership is this. He said, you have to love your team so much that the idea of sending them into battle will rip your heart out, but you have to be willing to do it anyway. Uh And uh, so, yeah. So no, I, I love that, and I will definitely look up uh, that video, and I'll put that link in uh, the show notes.
0: Yeah, it's referenced um, in the last chapter of our book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what what now? Uh, it might even be the very. Last, I have the book in front of me. It might even be the very last page of the book that we uh, that we reference, Colonel uh, Colonel Athens. And um, so if it if it escapes you. Uh, you can you can go to the chapter on what now, and there's a reference in there about the video.
1: Yep, it is. It's the very last page of the book. Uh, yep. It's right there. So absolutely. Well, look, Anthony, we have had a fantastic conversation and time has just flown by. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity I give all my guests towards uh, when we start wrapping things up. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on uh, that you would like to touch on?
0: um just just in summary let me just let me just highlight the three points that that we talked about around leadership here which was uh you know one engage in the grief process with your employees grief being the broader emotional trauma issue um be willing to adjust your leadership style Uh, we have found that leaders have lots of flexibility i don't care what your bereavement policies and your leave policies and your paid time off policies are Uh, i've spent most of my career uh, in life seems like leading in union environments i don't care what your contract says there's flexibility to help people deal with these issues if the leader really wants to find that flexibility you know it's easy to hide behind the policy or the contract mm-hmm. uh, but real leaders will find ways to help folks so be willing to adjust your leadership style and involve the entire team those are the three big takeaways um that we go into a great deal of depth i mean we we have an eight-hour training program that we take organizations through but at the heart of it those are the three things that we're teaching
1: Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, how can people, you know, so just kind of a refresher for uh, for listeners. Uh, the book is The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work. And I really uh, encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this because it is a very different, uh, I'll say very fresh perspective on leadership and an important part of what it is to be a leader leading people but how can people find out more about the book and more about what uh, you and your brother Guy uh, are doing?
0: Absolutely. So the easiest way would be to go to our website at griefleaders.com. Um, uh, it's pretty, it's an easy site to navigate, but there's a, there's a page there about the book and they can order the book directly from our website if they'd like. Um, and there's also uh, contact forms there. So folks can reach out to us for a complimentary consultation. Uh, or if they want to engage us to come in and speak or to train, uh, we certainly can do that. There's even a forum there for them to share their story. And we would love for folks to go and share their story with us uh, because that just helps us to to keep our training real and on point. Um, And then of course they can follow us on LinkedIn, uh, either myself or my brother Guy. Uh, and they can order the book through Amazon, whichever is easiest for the, for your listeners.
1: Outstanding, and I'll I'll have links to all of those uh, in the show notes for listeners, uh, so they can uh, access all this information very very easily. Um, Anthony, again, thank you very much for spending uh, pretty much this last hour with myself and my listeners. I've really enjoyed this conversation, so so thank you.
0: Well, I, Earl, I really appreciate it. It's been a privilege and an honor, and, and thank you for allowing us to share our story and, and the work that we're doing. Hopefully, we can help a lot of people.
1: Oh, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt about that. I think you all are are, are really uh, kind of peeling back the blinds on a very sensitive piece of leadership, and uh, thank you for leading that way. And uh, Folks, please go support them. Uh, go buy the book. Check out their website. Check out the videos. Um, And, uh, you know, don't be afraid, uh, to, to reach out people in your organization. I I will say this definitively, and I don't make very many definitive statements on this podcast, but people in your organization right now are going through some type of grief, uh, process. This book is timely and it's necessary. So go check it out. Um, and listeners, thank you for spending this, uh, this hour or so with Anthony and I, I really appreciate all of your support for the show and making it successful as is Uh, keep doing the ratings, reviews, sharing the show out. So all these messages can get spread. It makes an impact. Your efforts to share the show makes a deep impact on how far and wide these messages go. So keep that up and thank you for taking that responsibility uh, very seriously. And I, again, I'm very appreciative. If you have any comments for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Let me know how you feel about how the show is going. If there's any things that you would like to see, uh, changes made, topics for future discussions, hit me up there. With that, one more time, thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. All right, sir. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the WannaBet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th.